welcome to Uncage, the show that normally celebrates thought leadership from today's top business leaders. And we're doing that today, but we have a little bit of a different twist. As many of our watchers and listeners have noticed, last month we started a series where we're really having conversations, panel discussions about different topics. And now that we're at the end of the year, at the end of a lovely year, 2023, uh, and looking into 2024, we figured that we'd ask some of our team of Nostradamuses, so to speak, about what they're seeing for next year. Now, Nostradamus was a French astrologer, an apothecary, physician, and I guess a futurist of some sort back in the 16th century. And I don't know, some of the things he got right, some of them he got wrong, but he seems to get a lot of credit for getting everything right. But we're going to be talking about what 2024 looks like. We've got Dr. Liz Kuo here today, and we'll go through some stuff with her, uh, kind of all the things she's working on, but also kind of her thoughts for 2024 and Bryson Rayom. And I'm excited to really kind of kick it over to them to probably provide a much better introduction of themselves. Uh, we've had both of them on the show before, but they're now continuing as many do with exciting projects. And so Dr. Kuo, let's start with you. Well, thanks, Bant. I am a mom of three. I am also a physician. I've been a senior entrepreneur and very focused on these days, um, AI digital health and how we're pushing affordable and accessible care, both in a practical sense, meaning how do we get reimbursed for the right ROI for all the technology? We're seeing cell and gene therapy that are multi-million dollar drugs, but how do you get that reimbursed and how does it make sense for a payer? Um, I came from a payer, an insurance company as an executive. And after selling a few companies, I've said, if I knew all the things that I know now, how I would have run my health companies differently. Yeah. I also, I have two books coming out, one on digital health and one on helping clinicians transition to executive roles. And my goal also as a venture partner, I help, uh, we start a new fund called T-Rex, uh, investing in biotech and the intersection of that with software and tech services. Wonderful. Uh, so well, thank you, Liz and Bryson. How about you? Yeah, thanks, Dan. Really excited to be back. Thanks for having me. So Bryson Rayom, husband, father of an eight-year-old girl, 10-year-old boy that keep me busy most of the time. I fall into that uh, category that we hear a lot today, which is serial entrepreneur. Um, started most of my businesses in the construction and real estate space. So amazing general contracting firm, Rayom Richardson, with a, a great group of people here in Los Angeles. Uh, real estate development firm, Stately LA, focusing mainly in the kind of warehouse conversion space. The Cooperative LA is our newest venture, which is an owner's representation and construction management firm that uh, has kind of recently exploded. We focus mainly in the cultural institutional space and are doing some really amazing projects in and around LA. One of our kind of catalyst projects is the La Brea Tar Pits, which we're really excited about, about a $500 million renovation over there with that amazing team. And mm -hmm. constantly getting myself into things that I shouldn't be getting into. So I started that. You know, Bryson, you're bringing <laughs> back memories. When I was working in the agency world, my office was right across from La Brea Target. Okay. So I <laughs> drove past that all the time. Yep. So here we are talking about the future, about 2024. We got a media exec, we've got a doctor, and we've got a developer here. As I said before the show, it is kind of like the beginning of a bad joke, but you know, I think we'll weave through this and talk a bit about the future. I mean, I think I'll kick it back to you, Liz. You know, when you look into next year, what are some of the trends that you're seeing that are going to be first and foremost in the medical space? 
Oh, there's so many. Where do I start? I would say definitely companies have developed solutions that can, for instance, forecast results of a clinical trial or MRI and x-rays that benefit from AI's discoveries and can detect breast cancer early with mammograms or AI that's currently used to support spotting and addressing neurological diseases through just voice recognition. Um, there's so much going on in this space. I would say some of the predictions, of course, are continuing to adopt those. There's solutions that support um, clinicians. Those will have to start to get really regulated by the FDA. Um, we're also seeing retail companies turbocharging their healthcare from the Amazons, the Walmarts, really looking at telehealth, but also using retail as a channel. Um, we're seeing over-the-counter regulatory changes. A lot of drugs are going to go off patent. So we're going to start to be able to buy a lot of new drugs, even over-the-counter. And we're just, I think, overall monitoring healthcare like transactions. You saw digital health space in the public markets kind of take a nosedive. People are starting to really think about COVID post-COVID post era. And um, I think it'll be really interesting to figure out how do you have the right ROI, the return on the investment for innovation and, and what it takes and where people are willing to pay and how governments are reimbursing and things like that. Yeah, I mean, a lot happening. And I would say we do have that maybe almost like a roller coaster effect where the pandemic kind of shot up the importance of the medical and pharma space. And yet now, because we're able to focus on a wide array of development and innovation in the space, hopefully next year really sees that kind of moving forward. But I mean, one of the big things is certainly going to be investment and what's happening in the investment space. And Bryson, yes. I mean, when I think about... <laughs> You know, the spaces that you play in, I think heavily on things like interest rates and all those fun things. How are you seeing that's going to impact what you're working on? Oh, uh, it's just a constant conversation right now, right? How's the Fed going to kind of respond to inflation? Are the rates going to keep going up? You know, there's a general consensus that rates are going to start coming down, hopefully by the end of 2024. So, you know, there's, it's really shaping how we're looking at the next 24 months, you know, from a, a real estate standpoint, if you're somebody holding one of these notes where you got hit, you're in a bad spot. But if you're an opportunistic developer, you're in a fairly good spot. Uh, so it's interesting seeing how people are approaching the, the same problem. You know, we see a, a ton of different things and a ton of people kind of really teeing up their programs for next year. And one of the big kind of key items is adaptive reuse in our space. Um, how are we going to address all this empty office space in the Los Angeles yeah. area? So we're constantly yeah. focusing on that and seeing how that's going to kind of really hopefully save downtown LA at the, at the end of the day there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm hoping that for my sake, house prices come down in the Miami area, Bryson. <laughs> but but uh, I don't know if that's going to actually actually happen. You know, one of the things that I've noticed literally as we plan ourselves, my businesses for next year, is that it's been a hard thing to be a prognosticator, a forecaster, you know, over the last couple of years. I think that people going into 2023 would have thought that that would have been the year where we would have seen more of a bounce back, but it seemed to be a bit of a slower start. When you guys think about kind of the variables that are kind of like the factors for us to be thinking about what's going to happen next year, what are the variables that could change the trajectory? Liz, let me start with you on that one. Yeah, I think there's a lot. There are things, you know, we talked about interest rates and how investors are feeling, but um, we're also seeing opportunities, especially, you know, we talk about for down rounds, especially in healthcare right now. 
a lot of companies, public and private, took a nosedive. And so investors are definitely looking at buying low and potentially selling high. And some of them are just trying to build the cash to get through this time. And hopefully they're waiting for two to three years later where the market's much more ripe. Some of this may change depending on interest rates, depending on cash balances on public company markets. And also how we're thinking about from an investment standpoint, a lot of folks that I'm talking to, whether they're in a certain profession, are starting to think about work from home or ad advisory roles or certain part-time things that they want to mm -hmm. do. Um, I'm seeing also a change in people's mentality about returning back to work, but also how they want to live their lives. And there's a, a lot more emphasis these days on work-life balance and or sharing your vulnerabilities and being more open, even on LinkedIn and all these other places. So I'm seeing some of those changes change the workforce and how companies manage their employees. And then on top of that, I also feel like there's this um, ecosystem, as we just mentioned, where we're returning back from a pandemic abnormality. So are we thinking through um, how people are spending? I uh, My day job is a chief commercial officer at Everly Health, and we right. did home testing and we saw a surge during the pandemic of disposable income and spent on um, testing out of curiosity. Now people have tighter wallets. They're really thinking about their budgets and we're seeing a different different way of spending for the consumer. So we're now building our business through enterprise. We're really focusing on that side of the business, getting insurance companies to reimburse for things. And I'm seeing a lot of other companies doing similar things where how do they think about the overall economy and how that's changing the way they, they build their business. Yeah, I think those are really, really valuable points. And certainly, I think the point you mentioned really built on Bryson's point of work from home versus working in the office and people redefining the way they live their lives and that forcing us to essentially kind of redesign the world, redesign what urban spaces are going to mean for folks and rethink. And in some ways, I can say that redesigning and rethinking in my world, in the digital media world, that's something that many of us love because that means that there's going to be new ideas and new growth. I mean, Bryson, when you're looking out in the marketplace next year, are you seeing some really good signs for growth? Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of taking it back to, to the change in workforce and, and how the pandemic kind of really changed everyone's mentality. You know, I couldn't agree more that there is there, there has been a shift of you know, this concept of really, you know, grinding it out, working seven day weeks, 12 hours a day, you know, kind of chasing the American dream is, is changed a bit. Now there's a lot more focus on quality of life. Uh, there's a lot more focus, like Liz mentioned, on vulnerability, on, you know, what does it take to kind of to, to live a good life? And we're really seeing that in the employee side of, of all of our businesses, where it affects us and where we're seeing it affect design and things like that. You know, it's redefining what the modern workspace looks like. So, you know, in LA is a great example, millions of square feet of 1990 style office buildings, where if you walk through those nowadays, you're kind of like, yeah, nobody's coming back to these. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's this concept of flight to quality now, where, look, if you want somebody to come back to an office, uh, you have to completely change what that means, you know, so mm -hmm. it really is about creating these inspirational collaborative spaces. If it come here and sit in a desk and do your job, people now decided, hey, that doesn't, I don't need to come to this specific spot to sit at a computer. If I need to right. go somewhere, it needs to be for something more. It needs to be about team building. It needs to be about training. It needs to be about collaboration. So all of the main architects, designers, and developers that we work with have really keyed in on that and are working towards that. But it is a difficult situation because you're telling, you know, owners of defunct office buildings, hey, 
put a couple million dollars into your building or a hundred million dollars in your building when the buildings aren't leased to start. So it's a difficult time, but I think where we want to go is clear. It's just, how do we get there? And some things that'll change that trajectory back to your original point where we're seeing some, some big shifts is what's happening with, you know, local state regulations, city regulations and zonings. A lot of people are coming up and coming up with really creative programs to incentivize people to do more. And I think as that happens and as those things unfold, it really does drive kind of some more economic investment and things in the right places. Well, I mean, it's certainly a lot of rethinking going on there. I know I was reading an article last night about Gen Y really complaining that they don't have many third spaces to go to. They call it mm -hmm. third spaces, this idea of public spaces that don't cost as much as going to a cafe. You know, you go get a coffee and it's still seven bucks. But yeah, so there's a real need for third spaces. And do you think probably work was a third space for many people? And maybe, you know, we'll see some exciting innovations there. But there's no more exciting innovation right now than the conversation that dominated 2023, which was artificial intelligence. You know, as someone who did a PhD on AI in 2019 and 2020, I was amazed at how it just took over the mind space in at the end of 2022 and going into 2023. Liz, I mean, you work in this space, you're seeing how this is playing a transformative role in the medical field. Where are we and what's going to happen next year? Yeah, I mean, I think there is so much room right now to grow in this space from, as we mentioned earlier, from the power of uh, the computational, you know, ability for us to, what we have from our phones is what, you know, was sent someone to the moon years ago. And so it's just that combined with the ability to do have driverless cars. And so now you can imagine um, when people are doing clinical trials and they're looking at small molecule binding, so drug targets to certain cells, you can even actually simulate that. So you can simulate that instead of waiting for days for cells to grow and whatnot, there's there's so much going on in that space. Now they're looking at ways to detect cancer, not mm -hmm. from just like, you know, the physical mass that appears even on imaging, but they're through liquid biopsy. So through your blood. And so all of this is accelerated through AI's ability to process. So now you with the few tubes of blood, we're seeing innovation where if you just scan all the blood and just have slices of it, you can detect cancer and you wow. can process, you know, a thousand images in a second. And so the ability to do that and create drugs, think about detecting cancer, but also predicting if someone's about to have a fall from mm -hmm. the way they walk and the positioning to shoes that are coming out with this and to the internet of things, right? You walk into your house now in the future, you can get your music and the lighting and the temperature and everything set up. That's where we're headed. And I think in the future, it's someone's going to be pregnant and be able to walk in and it scans their belly and it says, baby's doing great. Um, yeah. I think about that. I too, love that. Honestly, I know that a lot of people are worried about privacy, but man, I mean, if someone could just take the information from my Apple watch and connect it and share it with my doctor and she yeah. could call me up and say, man, we've got a real problem. You know, I mm. would, I would love that. <laughs> yes. Right. And all passively without you having to do much work, which is yeah. a massive holy grail. Bryson, I mean, how is AI impacting you? Well, you minus the the hours lost on ChatGPT, it's it's, uh, <laughs> it's you know it's it's going 
through all parts of our industry. Right. You know, obviously construction has always been one of the kind of the slow movers in terms of innovation and things like that. We're, we're yeah. an old industry, and but we're seeing it across the board in terms of, you know, how it's affecting BIM modeling of buildings, AI team with BIM modeling, how we're seeing it with, you know, project management efficiency across the board. You know, there's a lot of great softwares out there. Uh, Procore is a big one that we work with. They're already implementing AI. Um, you know, we we're talking to a great firm the other day that does a lot of maintenance work. Uh, and they're working on a program of kind of like what they call predictive maintenance to where AI can mm -hmm. actually, once you put the systems in, it can track it and it can tell you when the systems are going to need maintenance or if anything's going wrong. So we're seeing it come come through pretty heavy already and very quickly, which in our industry is surprising because usually we're years behind anything like that. And I think that's because to healthcare too. Yeah. <laughs> same. But, but I saw a stat the other day with, you know, open AI specific to chat GPT, where, you know, they had a, a marker of how long do these uh, specific platforms take to reach, um, I think it was hundred million users yeah. and they had Facebook and they had Instagram and they had TikTok and all these other ones. And it was, you know, 10 years, seven years, Netflix, all these other ones. And I think OpenAI was three months it took to get yeah. to 100 million users. Yeah, I think that yeah. that social platform Threads was like three weeks. But yeah. the story <laughs> there was it went from like 100 million down to like 7 million back the following week. So yeah. things changing, you know, yep. very, very quickly. Well, look, I want to change gears a little bit here because we've got a panel of parents here. And mm -hmm. certainly when we think about the future, we often think about how our children are thinking about that future, what future they have. You know, when you guys put your parental hats on, what's your take on the near future for your kids? Liz, why don't we start with you? Yeah. I mean, person, I feel like I could take a lot of parenting advice from you. I have young kids. And so <laughs> I think... You know, one thing that I'm trying to do these days is to help them learn skill sets that aren't just rote memorization. One, I, I would say culturally, you can't replace a person's ability to be ingenious, innovative, kind of dynamic and charismatic, as opposed to, you know, the accounting, the lawyers, the engineers, they can do certain things, but, you know, you need to be able to collaborate and AI can't replace that. Or I don't know, even things like plumbing and you can't like service level stuff will be hard to replace. And so I'm trying to think through for the kids how to teach them to be um, dynamic in this world of new opportunities. But I mean, within 10 years, when my kids are older, they're four, five and seven, they're going to or four, six and seven now. They're going to have very different options as jobs. You know, lawyers are going to be different. Doctors are going to be different. Pathologists and radiologists may not be around as many of them. And so you have to think about, I think, skill sets in a different way. Yeah, no, I mean, that's one of the questions I have because, I mean, both of you uh, are at the top of your professions. You're seeing how things are evolving so quickly. It's a really interesting one. I have two kids that are freshmen and sophomore in college. They're right at the coalface, you know, they're just <laughs> looking at this and going like, oh my God, the world I'm entering is not even the same as it was when I was a junior and senior in high school. So quite, quite dramatic shifts. Bryson, what are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, I just love what you said, Liz, about creating that kind of dynamic human that really understands that collaboration piece, because I think that is so true from what I've seen in, in our community and our, our local you know, society here is 
that's going away very quickly. And I think that is going to be an absolute skill set in the future that's almost trained too, because, you know, we see it going away very quickly where people are losing that ability to be leaders, to, you know, be team leads, to be able to collaborate with people. So I think that is something that we're focusing on a lot too, of, of how do you create that person that can kind of learn those and exhibit those qualities as they grow. The educational side is, I mean, that is all new territory. I went to a great talk the other day. It was Jim Ellis, who was the Dean of USC Marshall School there. And it was about AI and how is it going to affect it? And it was mm -hmm. a great discussion, but you know, at the end of the day, it was really kind of like, it's not how do you work around AI and how does higher education work with or around? It's going to completely reshape education as a whole. And what does that look like? We don't know. We're right in the middle of it, right? We're right at the beginning of it. So for me, it's kind of like, hold on. I focus a lot on how do I create kind, gentle, you know, human beings. That's a big focus for us. And then, you know, the rest will hopefully fall in line. Love to add to that because I feel like there is such a need for also as we're thinking about social media and, and the influence with kids of not only being kind, but very open and mm -hmm. um, lovingly open to others. Because I feel like I've seen sometimes teenagers now just kind of texting and not having the interaction that we all grew up with, right? Where we're like just taking our bikes down the block and visiting mm -hmm. a neighbor's house for hours. And I think about that as we teach the kids that they also can fail and fail more and often. And a process mm -hmm. of getting better at something rather than being worried about trying. I feel like that's been an interesting test of how do you help people understand that and decrease anxiety mm -hmm. through that. Um, diving into failures allows you to unexpectedly succeed sometimes even faster and you immunize yourself to against fear. So I've seen therapists, I have several of my psychiatrist friends who say they teach teenagers these days to do something crazy like walk to walk into a McDonald's and ask someone for a pen or things that they were just not normally feel comfortable doing to help them be more open-minded and to be accepting and feel like there's a community building. Yeah, it's such a good lesson. And honestly, it's so funny. I'll tell you a personal anecdote. My older son, he's a sophomore now at Duke, but when he was a freshman, he really, really wanted to do this summer kind of study with this professor. And he's a very shy kid, doesn't like to put himself out there. And I said, look, you know, Alejandro, you got to do this. You got to go and just tell this professor how much you care about this topic and what you could do. And he hummed and hawed and he sent in the application. He didn't hear back. And I was worried and worried and worried. And finally, he mustered up the courage to do it. And I, you know, I could care less about his grades his freshman year, but he did it. And, you know, just the fact that he was able to do that and was able to kind of move that ball forward, as you're talking about, Liz, it's mm -hmm. really important. It's really important to kind of find ways to interact. With that in mind, I mean, you know, here we are coming into the holiday season, the heart of the holiday season. And I think that probably maybe we all have hopes, hopes for next year, probably some fears. And so maybe we end the conversation with kind of your thoughts really on those two points. You know, what are your worries about next year and what are your hopes going into 2024? Bryson, why don't we start with you? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, people make a lot of fun of me about my uh, goals sheet for each year, but you know, I love, and actually I, I don't have it teed up. I, I take the last two weeks of every year and really focus on, you know, what do I want to accomplish this year on a personal level, on a family level, on a business level. I'm, I'm very positive to a fault. You know, a, a running joke within our firms is every year is going to be our best year, you know, every Christmas party next year is going to be the best year yet. So I'm always very hopeful. You know, I look into 2024 and there is a big question mark for 24. There was a lot of things that I thought were going to take place in 23 that didn't in terms of, you know, where that we were going with the recession. I know there's going to be a lot of difficult times ahead in 24 for a lot of people in our space, in our industry specifically. Uh, So it'll be, you know, I'm kind of looking at that and hopeful that it's not too bad for some people. I know it's going to be good for others. Uh, from a personal standpoint, you know, I really just look at how quickly the world is changing and everything that's happening with AI and globally and just really try and focus on what I can control. And that to me is is my immediate friends, family and community around me. I, I see a lot of people focusing very wide and I feel like the best I can do is really try and make an impact on those that are are very close to me and, and again my my local community so we spend a lot of time trying to do that to to make our impact there and hopefully it spreads from that point forward i love that and bryson i mean i probably was remiss to not ask both of you about how you think about planning i think that's that's wonderful that you spend a couple of weeks kind of thinking about what you want to achieve the goals for the new year and how you map out a plan you know, I know that a lot of folks kind of think about those things. Liz, I don't know if you have ways that you approach the new year or if you have yeah. kind of a methodology on that. I I have ADHD, so I think it's useful <laughs> for me to like sort of sit down and kind of plan the year. I do the same thing. I sort of do a lot of reading and reflecting on the past year, I think for me was a lot about being deliberate. So I use the, I have a year word every year and next year is going to be saver. This past year was deliberate because I wanted to be very deliberate about how I spent my time. And when you think about like the pie chart of how you carve out what Bryson was saying, you know, family, friends, and um, the core components of your time spent, uh, I feel like I was very deliberate. And I think this year I'm going to give myself a little bit more room. I'm going to say, you know, I'm going to sit in these moments and savor and smell the roses. I feel like kids grow up so fast. So yeah. I've been spending more time thinking about, I read them letters now whenever I travel, but I've been putting together volumes of books for them, quotes, Mm. you know, quotes that I've read, books that I love, summaries of them, and hopefully one day they can be useful to them, even if I'm not around and hopefully for their kids, perhaps. Mm. So I've been reflecting on those and just thinking about each year I write them a letter about what this year was about and how much I appreciated who they've become. Um, I also spend some time actually writing letters to friends and just really appreciating them. Sometimes the uh, power of words, I think we forget because I feel like we're so digital. We're always like moving and thinking about things. So um, one of our, my thoughts was also don't accept negative self-talk and watch it float mm. in your mind and warmly let it go. I'm, I'm fairly positive too. I think as all three of us are. Yeah. Uh, and I believe that, you know, one of our burdens is living with our own thoughts and the past, but the past is a memory, right? And the future is in your imagination. So I think for me, the word savor is, Uh, The reality is the present and so living in the moment and things that you can control and not thinking too much about things you can't control, although planning still ahead, like we're all strategically thinking about interest rates in the year because you can't forgo any of the practicality of that. Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. Liz, I think you said it better than I could say it for sure. I think savor is a wonderful, wonderful word and a lot of thinking for me on that going forward. But before we go, I just want to make sure that folks know how to get in touch with either one of you if they have questions or want to talk to you both about the near future. Liz, where's the best place to reach you? Uh, I would say I have a website. It's dr. L-I-Z-K-W-O, just my Dr. Liz quote. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn. So I would love to hear from people. I'm coming out with this book, Digital MD, in April. And hopefully, if it's useful to people, would love to connect with the community and the audience to understand how they think about AI and healthcare. And really looking forward to staying in touch. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. And Bryson, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, you know, LinkedIn, I think, is a, a great connector. So drop me a line on LinkedIn there. And then obviously my, my core business that I'm focused on is a cooperative. So it's just Bryson at the cooperativela.com. Feel free to email me if uh, you want to talk about cultural institutional projects or, you know, any fun adapter for use in LA. I'm, I always love meeting new people and having Zooms or coffees in LA, whatever it might be. So well, thank you both for being on the show today. We've been talking about the future. We've had at least two Nostradamuses here, Dr. Liz <laughs> Quo and Bryson Rayum, talking about what they're seeing for 2024 and you know some of the challenges we might face, but also ways to navigate those things and also really some thoughts on how to plan for it. And I'm going to use your line, Liz, you know, to make sure that we all savor, savor this stuff going forward make the most of next year. So with that in mind, happy holidays to everyone. Happy New Year to everyone. And we look forward to having you back on the show in the future. Thank you so much.